Well, yeah, greetings from the church in New Jersey. What a joy to be with you. So, any, uh, any East Coasters uh, here? Re- transplants? All right, awesome. Well, I really believe in the power of the name of Jesus. I've seen him work in my life. I, my wife and I have been married for 43 years now. I've been, yeah, she's in the back. And the very beginning of my life, I just, I have to give you this preamble simply because, you know, sometimes, well, who is this guy? And, and uh, I grew up in a broken home. My mom had, uh, you know, my dad had left my mom. My mom died when I was young, so I was raised by my grandmother. I had everything stacked against me. Um, got into wrestling. That kind of kept me from going really crazy with drugs. So... Uh, you know, and also learned a lot of lessons in wrestling. But the wild thing is that my first term in college, I was in complete rebellion against God. My grandmother taking me to church, but I had totally walked away by the time I was 13. By the time I got into college, uh, you kind of reap what you sow. I was depressed. I was frustrated. And God used, you know, some people in my life to get my attention on him. And from that point on, I mean, I, I had this deliverance, if you could say. I mean, I was definitely involved in the occult. I was involved in some spiritual things that were beyond me. I was seeing, seeing demons. It was just crazy. I was suicidal. And the power of Jesus in my life, I'll never, I mean, I feel like I just got saved yesterday. I'm growing today, and Jesus is coming back tomorrow. And that's kind of the freshness. When you have that experience, that's eternal. And there's power in the name of Jesus. I, I want to look at just a couple of things here. First of all, so blessed to be here. You, you know, your pastor uh, has been, uh, you know, a lot of times people don't realize the spiritual battles that pastors go through, people involved in ministry. Uh, we covet your prayers, that's for sure. And, um, and it's so kind, you know, so kind of you to have us here. So it was alluded a few things about what we did and going out to New Jersey back in 1984, we've been there for 38 years now, uh, God has done beyond what we imagined. I, I honestly went out there just thinking, Lord, if you want us to have 10 people that we can pour into, love and encourage, uh, that'll be enough. And uh, because essentially that's a, what God wants us all to be involved in. Who is he putting in front of us that we can love? So we discovered a few different opportunities to minister in unique ways in New Jersey. God's opened up a radio station, a school, and a few things. But more than that, um, one of the things very dear to our hearts I mentioned at the conference was our mobile medical unit uh, for women going in to get an abortion. We give them another choice. And we park it outside of Planned Parenthoods and other places like that and essentially invite them over for a free ultrasound. And uh, when they get on the bus, when they get on that van, it's a beautiful laid-out van, 80% of the women who hear the heartbeat and see their baby, they choose life. 100% if the father of the child is there. And I was actually there witnessing this young Guatemalan couple, it was powerful, who um, came on the bus. I was driving security at that point, and they came on, and uh, they came off. He was 17, she was 14. And he came, they came off the bus smiling like anything. He had said to her, listen, I know your parents aren't going to let us get married. We're too young right now, but I'm going to go get a job. I'm going to get two jobs. I'm going to work hard until we get married. We're going to keep this baby. This is our family. 
and she was smiling ear to ear. It was like life. The opportunity was there. And then to get all the pictures, we're at 420 babies saved since we started in the middle of COVID. And yeah, it's, that's, a, that's a large school. And every baby is precious. And I shared with the uh, pastors, I said this last two Sundays ago, I was holding a three-day-old baby in my hands and just thinking this could be like a little baby Moses, the purpose that God has. And that's, that's the thing about life. That's why Satan hates life so much because the potential and the purpose of God through every soul that he has made in his image is beyond the wealth of this world. So to be there and then to get all these pictures from women sending us their pictures of their babies, thanking us for being there, it's overwhelming. And I also know that, look, in every church this size, there's women that have had abortions. You have that in your past. And uh, that's probably why you're here because, you know, the, the weight of guilt and shame, you, you can't escape that any other place than an amazing, beautiful forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross who died for our sin. So you don't have to keep beating yourself up. You don't have to keep living in that shame and guilt. You can take that at the cross. And then when you get that freedom, you're so excited. You want other women. Don't make the same mistake. You're going to be there. You're going to be warriors to help other women not go down that road. So it, it's really been an amazing ministry. But uh, let's turn to Matthew. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. I normally teach through the Scriptures. And I'm in a three-part uh, section of 1 Corinthians right now. But I just have two passages that sum up, in a sense, those, that entire section. As Paul is trying to speak to the Corinthians about how this freedom they have in the gospel needs to get transmitted to love and loving one another. And so he's in, we're in the middle of that amazing section. Paul exhorting this one-time pagan enslaved group of people in this marvelous freedom, experienced faith in Christ, now to exemplify that through love and influence the next generation. So listen, I, I got to tell you, my whole life is I want to live in such a way that can influence someone else, maybe, just maybe to take another look at Jesus because they will find in him he is more than enough. So this is a simple faith. And it starts with this, I guess, Joseph is a good way to start with. He, he just hears his betrothed, the engaged woman he's with, is found pregnant, and they hadn't been together. So he's thinking, oh, what am I going to do? He's grieving. He, he doesn't want to make a spectacle of her. He's thinking of putting her away secretly. And the angel appears to him. And it's a beautiful thing. He says, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary, your betrothed, as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And you shall call his name. If you read this, it says it very plainly right here. He says, and you shall bring forth a son and you'll call his name, verse 21 of Matthew 1, you'll call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Simple faith in Jesus we learn from his very name. The very name of Jesus, Yeshua, God is salvation. Now, there are many names for God, as we sang about Jireh, you know, today, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. There's Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. 
There's Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is present. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. There are many, many names that God has revealed himself. But there's one name that'll be above all those names for all eternity, and that is God is salvation, Yahshua, our anglicized version, Jesus. Simple faith in the name of Jesus. But we learn something from that name. Three things we learn in this little passage. One is we learn that sin is the big problem. The first thing, very important thing, and of course, this goes against all of the lies and deception that is in the world through all the cults and isms and alternative religions and even Satan's alternative to Eve and Adam, you know, that, that you can be your own God that you don't have to worry about that. God warned them the day they eat of that fruit, they would die, and spiritually they did. Sin entered the world because of Adam. We blame Eve, but, you know, she was purely tricked. Adam willfully transgressed. He's the reason sin entered into the world. And all throughout history, there have been the false messages, false prophets who kind of want to sugarcoat sin. It's not that bad. Oh, it's okay. It's not a big deal. False prophets in the Old Testament said, peace, peace, when there was no peace. We have a serious malady going on here, and only the Lord can solve it. You know, there's no end to all the isms, the cults and deviations, and evil will try to derail that simple faith through many lies. How many lies do we believe? How many things, when you're in the Word of God, you're confronted with truth, and you're delivered from that deception. Because the honest thing is, we have a sin problem. That is our issue. Do you know that in the United States, I think there's some 20 to 30,000 estimated quack doctors. That is, doctors have fraudulently got their credentials on the wall. They look like a doctor. They talk like a doctor. They, they've got the stethoscope. They can, they can give you some prescriptions. And the problem is they're not trained, so they can't really diagnose what's wrong with you. But they can do what every other, you know, person in the spiritual world that wants to give you an alternative, they can make you feel better. Even if you have cancer, they can make you feel better. Hey, take this, you'll feel great. So you'll feel great, go home, and then you'll die because he's not a real doctor. There's a lot of quack spiritual truths out there that have deceived people, and we learn from the very name of Jesus, this is the answer. His name is Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So he identifies through the name that sin is our big problem. But the second thing he identifies, and we can't miss this, God sent his only begotten son into the world that whoever believes would have everlasting life, which tells you God sent his son his son willingly came so, because, wh wh why would he do that unless you were worth it? You know, there's a lot of insecurity we all have from the womb. You know, we're fighting from the very womb. We're fighting for our own identity, for our own purpose, for our per meaning. And part of us in being born in sin, we're striving to be our own God. The amazing thing is the Lord comes along. He, he teaches us we are more than animal. God breathed into us the breath of life. If you have a dog or a cat, you know, you, 
sent him out in the backyard. And you ever notice your dog is all about this world. I mean, they're, they're nose to the ground. He's sniffing everything. This world is his world. You'll never see your dog go out in the backyard, look up in the heavens and contemplate who he is. He was made for this earth. But an eternal soul, you are far more valuable. So valuable, we can tell that value by simply this. I mean, I'm driving around here and my wife and I are going, I wonder what that house costs. I wonder what that house costs. Uh, <laughs> I can tell you what any house is worth. It's very simple. What anybody is willing to pay for it, that's what it's worth. <laughs> yeah, okay. Selling a home here. But listen, what are you worth? Do you know what you're worth? Do you really know who you are? Do you really know what your value is? What was God willing to pay for you? He sent his only son who suffered and died on the cross so that the problem of sin that separated us from God would be solved to bring us back into fellowship with him and because he values us. Now, you'll hear many, many lies. You can't even get out of the bed in the morning without listening and believing to some lies about yourself. What is your purpose? What is my life? Nobody likes me. I have no reason to live. I don't know what I'm doing with this job. No, what's, all the insecurities and uncertainties. Sin has clouded our understanding with our true value. I remember speaking in Cuba when we had those opportunities. I shared with a thousand students in Cuba uh, through this open door we had that closed very shortly after. But I remember uh, trying to get across the value of that soul and I thought, you know, I, I pulled a 20 out of my pocket, not a $20 bill, but a 20 Cuban cook, which is the same value of $20 in America. But in Cuba, it's a month's salary. So you figure out what you make a month. That's what I pulled out in this little 20. And I held it up and I said, I've got a 20 here. And I crumpled it up, put it on the ground, and I stepped on it. I was, I was hoping I wasn't going to offend any of them. But I picked it up and I said, it's all dirty, it's crumpled, it's gross, it's nasty. Would anybody want this now? Oh, the hands went up. I said, why would you want this? It's gross, it's dirty, it's crumpled. Because it still retains its value. And let me say this, it doesn't matter how much sin has defiled you. I know people that have come out of the most horrific things. Background of murder, background of, of, of sexualization, background of, of theft, background of just pure evil. God has rescued them and they have been forgiven because that's why he came. Sin's the problem, but you are worth it. Now, some say even about a baby, it's only a baby. What's, what's the big deal about a baby? Have you ever wondered why Satan is so threatened by a baby? Why is in the history of paganism, human sacrifice, children being sacrificed, such a huge thing? And listen, don't make any mistake about it. Our own culture as intelligent and the elite there is a pedophilia ring, there is prostitution, there's evil, there is sex trafficking, like it's off the chart. Sex trafficking in our modern age. Because Satan hates that image of God and wants to destroy that life. That little baby has hope. Satan has always known the full value and been afraid of babies. Remember, he stirred up Herod to kill all the babies. He stirred up, he stirred up Pharaoh to kill all the babies. Because what we look at is a little baby that's helpless and frail and doesn't really, hasn't really done anything. God sees the whole person, the potential. 
I don't know if any of you guys are sci-fi fans. I'm, I'm an old sci-fi fan because I, I like, I see in science fiction the heart of where people are going in the future, where they're thinking about the future. So I'm always intrigued. What are people thinking about? And one of my favorites is Doctor Who. I'm an old Doctor Who fan. I don't know, maybe some of you are like, what in the world? Not the new ones. The new ones are kind of weird. But the old ones that were cinematography was horrible, but the plot and the theme were pretty amazing. There was one episode there with the weeping angels, and there was a kind of a creature that if you looked at it, it was just a statue and couldn't touch you. But if you turned away, it would get closer, and if it touched you, you'd be sent back in time. And the idea is that it stole and lived off your potential. So you go back in time and you live an insignificant life the rest of your life and never make any difference in the culture. So those weeping angels, those creatures, would steal your human potential. And I thought, this is exactly what Satan does. He rips us off by making us think we're not worth anything. Nobody cares about you. And you would be joy to know how much God does. He, Satan is amazing. He first appeals to your pride to rebel against God. And then when you do, then he just jams you with guilt and shame, makes you feel worthless. Who are you really? You know, I remember the subtlety of the enemy when I came home from college and I shared with one of my sister's friends about the gospel and she was so thankful. She opened her heart. She believed in the Lord. She was growing. And when we went back to college, I got her connected to a good church. But somewhere along the line, a person from a cult, a legalistic cult, uh, brought her into their fold and began to kind of, well, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, you've got to dress this way, you can't listen to this music. She got all into this legalism came back and her joy was gone. She was miserable. She was going to walk away from God. Satan wants, <laughs> okay, there's, there, how do you know your value? Jesus came and died for you, but you also know your value. But listen to this. Satan spends every waking moment thinking of ways to mess with you, to get under your skin. Well, who are you that you people are so important? that an eternal being would do nothing other than just find ways to mess with your life. Every time you're tempted, every time you struggle through a trial, every time you go through these difficulties, that should be a reminder how valuable you are. And you know, you can also speak the truth and take authority. I had a young man that, uh, a couple in our church, uh, they had a family, they were coming to the church, and we hadn't seen them for some years reached out to them and came to find out that they hadn't been coming to church because their son had some sort of an allergic reaction. And uh, eventually they found out through Columbia University after all the tests that there was nothing wrong with their son, that it was something psychological. And someone also told him maybe this is spiritual because they noticed some weird things about their son. He didn't like to go out in the sunlight. In the wintertime, he'd wear shorts and a T-shirt in 20 below weather. And he close all the lights and so they were concerned about him so he called me up the father and said do you know of an exorcist we think our son is possessed I said you don't need an exorcist to bring him to the church every child of God has authority over the demonic so they brought this young man to church I'll never forget there was a little foyer at the bottom of my stairs where my office was upstairs and he wouldn't come up so I came down with a few pastors uh, I wanted some of my younger pastors to view this 
And as soon as I came down and our eyes met, he looked up and he just, I could tell immediately, I wasn't looking at Michael, I was looking at this demon. And he was, he was kind of snarling at me and I walked up and he was a big boy. So I walked right up to him and I'm looking up to him and I said, in the name of Jesus, you have no authority. He's snarling at me, you know, and I'm, in the name of Jesus, you have no authority, leave. And then I said, Michael, I know you're there. If you can just, even if you can't say it, just ask Jesus in your heart to help you. And immediately, it seemed like the demon released and he, he was okay, but he fell to the ground and then he was trying to, he was writhing, he was trying to get away. We're praying in the name of Jesus. We didn't have to do any theatrics and sprinkle holy water and all those other things you see on TV. You have authority as a believer. And so we prayed and I said, listen, Michael, you need to receive Jesus, but if you can't even speak it, just ask him. And the demon left again. He stood up and so I began to lead him in a prayer. And as I did, halfway through, the, another attack came. Now he's trying to get away from us. We're holding him. We're praying for him. And I said, in the name of Jesus, you have no authority. Leave. And the demon was gone. Now, I looked around because his mom and his dad were there and his brother and a few pastors in this tiny little foyer. His mom was in a fetal position in the corner, just freaked out. Didn't know what was going on. I said, are you okay? She goes, she, can we do anything? She goes, I could use a shot of whiskey. And I'm like, oh, great. Well, that's not exactly what we're going to give you here. But, but the, it was the funniest thing. The wildest thing, though, was the demon was gone, and she said, this is the first time he's looked at me in the eyes for four years. So I sat him down, and I said, so how did this happen? And he said, well, I, I know how it happened. I started getting involved in these really violent video games, and I felt this presence come to me. If you really want to win and have power, ask ask me in so I did and it took over and I, I couldn't I couldn't escape it I was I was trapped and I said well you've asked Jesus right now in your heart but now I want you with your voice so we prayed to receive the Lord and man I'll tell you what a difference four years later now he's on fire for the Lord serving the Lord wants to get equipped as a pastor I say this because listen Satan is a liar he wants to destroy but his name implies we are valuable, we are worth it. But there's one more thing his name implies. Not only that sin is the problem, not only that we are valuable, but three. And this is very significant. His name implies we cannot save ourselves. Why is that so significant? Because, listen, that is the one lie that's so significant. There is many different ways to get to God. There's many different ways. You know, you, oh, that's your truth. That's not my truth, and we all have a different truth. No, there's one truth. When I get in an airplane, and I'm going from here back to New Jersey, I don't want a pilot that says, well, it doesn't really matter which direction. We go one direction, the other direction, it's all the same. We'll get there. No, he's going to basically go in a direction. There's one direction. The Lord wants us to know by him sending his son, it's a reminder we can't save ourselves because there is salvation in no other name, the Bible says, Acts 4.12. No other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He who believes in the son has everlasting life. He who does not believe in the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. How good do you have to be to stand before a perfect God? If you were 99% good, would that be good enough? I know a lot of people think, well, I'm, if I'm 99% good, I'm going to make a lot of friends. People are going to like me and 
I mean, I'll be the guy to go to. I'd love to have a neighbor that was 99% good. But, but let me just ask you this, though. If you really applied that, Federal Express did a campaign years ago called We Don't Accept 99% because they said if we accepted 99% efficiency in this world, it would mean 100,000 airline takeoffs and landings would end in a disaster every single year if we accepted 99%. 12 newborn babies would be given to the wrong parents if we accepted 99%. A million pieces of mail would be misheld every hour if we accepted 99%. I could even make it more personal. If you went to your bank and they said, hey, you'd be happy to know 99% of the time we're honest, would you go to that bank? Or even more personal, if your spouse said to you, Hey, you'd be happy to know that 99% of the time on those business trips, I'm faithful to you, honey. Would you accept that? Of course you wouldn't. Why do you think God would? Why do you think God could? He can't. He's holy. He's perfect. He can't. But we can't save ourselves. So he sent his son, Jesus. He called him because he will save us from our sins. The most important name. You know, I get the hesitancy of many pastors in the nation to avoid the subject of abortion, for example. They don't want to make the women in their church feel bad about their past. But, you know, the interesting thing is that's the very reason to be talking about it, not to make them feel bad, but to keep in mind this is about the glorious forgiveness that's in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have, in my opinion, the greatest white field ready for harvest in America because of abortion. There is, a, there is a weight of guilt and shame over this sin that everybody collectively shares. They can keep burying it, keep pushing it down, keep pushing it down. I've had grown men in my office bawl their eyes out as they begin to realize what they did in their past by not being supportive of their girlfriend about that baby and threatening to leave if she keeps it and she gets the abortion and all that wreaked havoc on her life and then they realize that relationship was over and it just ruined their life. There's a collective thing of guilt and let me just use one name that will help illustrate this and the name is Joseph. See, the Joseph is one of my favorite Bible characters and I used to think it was because it was the rags to riches story, right? You know, he was down and beaten down, but, you know, he trusted God and God raised him up to be second in command of Egypt. All right, there's the movie. Roll the credits. That's the point. No, that's not the point. It was never about Joseph because there's nine more chapters about Joseph after he gets risen in power. It was never about Joseph. It was about his brothers. The tribes of Israel were backslidden. They were idolatrous. They had betrayed their brother. They had that dirty secret in their past, just like abortion is a dirty secret in people's past, and they don't want to admit it. They want to keep burying it. And the brothers of Joseph kept burying that sin that they did to their brother. And God used Joseph and the famine to bring them together and eventually come to grips with what they had done so that they could come to honest and confess it was because of what we did to our brother Joseph all these troubles are happening which is often what happens when you're holding on to something and then bad things happen the first thing you think of is oh it's because I did this oh it's because I did this listen you gotta stop with that you've gotta come to realization the Lord has forgiven you 
And we have the answer to the weight of guilt that many people are holding. That's why speaking about these issues boldly and truthfully confront those evil lies, these people that pretend to empower women. You know what a Planned Parenthood will tell a young woman? Oh, you can't do this. Oh, your life is over for the next 18 years. Oh, you gotta, you gotta fix this. You can't do this, you can't do this. We come along and say, you can do this. In fact, you know, I remember, I remember years ago, a family member who was contemplating an abortion, and I said to her, why would you do that? You'd be a great mom. She goes, why do you say that? I said, because you know how hard it is growing up in a single parent, and you know you knew how difficult it was for your mom and how you would want to give this and that for your child, and you don't feel you can, but I believe because you're thinking of how hard it is, you would actually work hard and you'd be a great mom. She actually heard that, had the baby, and now she's a grandma. So if I ever go to an abortion clinic and ever hold up a sign, which I usually don't, but if I did, you know what my sign would say? You would be a great mom. See, the reality is we've been beaten down by the lies of this world. We can't be good enough. We can't be good enough. And I know we're afraid to speak about these things, but the very thing is God reaches people's hearts when they confess their sin. He is faithful and just to forgive it. You know, there was a lady that came to one of our events in which was kind of a powerful event of expressing, um, you know, this lady was sharing her testimony of her multiple abortions. And a lady who was in her 50s came up to me and says, Pastor Lloyd, I can't believe this woman was saying so many things about her past so personal. I can't, I mean, she's talking about her abortions. And then she quieted her voice and leaned in and said, I never told anybody I had an abortion when I was 17. You're the first person I told. Now, I got to tell you something, because this woman, part of our church for many years, was very sweet, but she always had sad eyes, just sad. From that moment on, she was the most bubbly, happy woman in the church. She was holding on to this thing she just never could tell anybody, and my own wife. You know, her, her testimony took her 20 years to actually tell people in the church about her past and abortions. Once you do, it's amazing how when you say, Lord, this was me, but God has forgiven me. This is powerful. You know, I really believe that that simple faith is so powerful. The simple faith. What do you do with this name of Jesus now? The Bible gives us two things to do with the name of Jesus. One, believe in his name and you have eternal life. The simplicity of that is powerful. And the second is go in his name because that's the only name you're going to have power to give anybody anything that will rescue them from their sin. Years ago, there was a young ch a church that did an outreach in the inner city. And a young girl who came out of prostitution responded to the gospel. She believed in the Lord, started going to the church, started growing and learning and just on fire for the Lord, eventually began serving in the children's ministry. And the pastor's son took a liking to her and it created a big divide in the church some were saying well you know you're a pastor's son and you know she came out of a background and you know you know that's probably not a good choice for you and others would say hey you know what we're so proud of you, you know she she's 
forgiven. So he finally had enough of this divide. Even his own family was divided between his mom and his dad. So he asked his dad if he could address the congregation. And he got up and he said, my fiance is not on trial here. What's on trial is the name of Jesus. Does it save or not? Does it cleanse? And all of a sudden, the church was just silent. Because they realized they didn't even believe what they preached. God is able to completely cleanse, amazingly work in people. A simple faith. Listen, sometimes, you know, we may not be eloquent in our expression of faith, but just the simple trust, we make our stand, who we believe. And we have to stand against this culture because this culture is going to pull you, young people, in every different direction. What you value, what you hold valuable, what you value is what you are worshiping because that's what worth, worship is. It's worship. What do we assign our biggest value to? What are you really worshiping? There was a lady that uh, lived in this little neighborhood and every morning she'd come out on her front porch with big loud voice and say, praise the Lord. And it was a wonderful little ritual for her. Neighbors didn't mind until an atheist moved in next door. He was not very happy with this little ritual, waking him up in the morning, so he decided to get his own ritual. He'd go out on his front porch when she would say, praise the Lord, and he'd say, there is no Lord. This went on for months. Till one day, the lady went out on her front porch in the morning and said, Lord, praise the Lord, but Lord, I have no food. I, I'm hungry. Can you please help? Well, the atheist saw an opportunity, so he went to the grocery store that, that day and got some grocery for her and waited till the morning, put the groceries on her front porch, and then she came out and said, praise the Lord. The Lord gave me groceries. And he jumped out from behind the bush and said, there is no Lord. I bought those groceries. And she said, praise the Lord. The Lord gave me groceries and made the devil pay for them. <laughs> hey, listen, you never know. It doesn't take an eloquent witness to stand in the name of Jesus. People are looking for hope these days. That's what I saw in a wrestler in the wrestling team at Michigan State. I saw a guy that had hope, and I wanted that hope. I asked him the reason. Why are you so happy all the time? He told me, I'm a follower of Jesus, and that was it. That was the start of my journey. I wanted to know the reason for his hope. I found out, and I rededicated my life to the Lord. What is the power of his name? This was the passage I wanted to start with, and the last one I want to end with is John 13, 35, and we're just going to tie this up in a few moments. Because this is the whole point of Paul's message to the Corinthians in giving them a place to understand what has been done for them to transmit that to now what do we do? We have experienced this amazing love and forgiveness and kindness and we have this hope. So now he says in verse 35 of John 13, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By, all, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Folks, we can't do our Christianity alone because you have no one to practice love. You need each other. You're a family. Even when people get mad at me and they leave the church, I tell them on the way out, you know, you're always going to be family no matter what, you know. 
I, I don't mind. Wherever they go, I'm just praying they make good in a good place. Maybe they don't like my style or whatever it is. I, you know what? We're not everybody's cup of tea. No, nobody's going to satisfy everybody. But the point is, we're family and we love each other. If the most important thing in your life, and it is, it should be, to be saved, your name is written in the book of life. If that's the most important thing in your life, then the second most important thing is that your life could be used in a way to influence others. And here's where, this is where we get short-circuited. We have this faith, but somehow we forget what we need to do to grow. We need His Word. We need to be around other people. We need those things to help us grow and mature, not in order to be saved. We're already saved by simple grace. But in order to make an influence on others, we need to grow so that we leave that fragrance of Christ. You know the difference between a boy and a man? When I share at men's conferences, all I share, you know, we, the difference between a boy and a man is very simple. A boy needs discipline. A man disciplines himself. And this is where young people, you don't want to be continually living perpetually as a boy or as a little girl. You want to grow. You want to mature. You want to come to that place where you're taking responsibility for your life and so that you and your maturity and the work that God is doing in you will have an influence on somebody else. You practice love. Listen, I tell everybody sitting in the pews, you know, when visitors come in, you are the unofficial welcoming committee of Calvary Chapel. You're it. Because now you're, you're caring for people. You're, you're settled. You see, you don't have the insecurity now because you have faith in the Lord Jesus, His name. You know who you are in Him. And now you splash out on others because there's a lot of broken people in this world that need a lot of patience. Even this little three-day-old baby that I held in my hand rescued a couple of weeks ago if I told you some of the drama behind that pregnancy and that girl and her boyfriend and on and off and on and off again, I mean, it was just a mess. But that's what we do. We get into the mess and we love and we nurture and we encourage. And now they've kept their baby. They're working on getting mature in their relationship to head toward marriage. It's a mess, though. But you do life and you do it loud. And sometimes it's the simple things, the little divine appointment the Lord might put in your path. When I was at the conference, uh, before the conference here, it was in Southern California, and a lady was speaking about education. She's got a book on the subject, just brilliant. I, I had to meet her. So I'm looking all around the conference to find her, and I can't find her. So I see a guy sitting there by himself, and the Lord always convicts me, you know, instead of worrying about finding this lady. Here's a guy right here sitting by himself. Why don't you go talk to him? So I go over and I sit down, start talking to him. Where are you from? How'd you start? How, what made you come to this conference? You know, small talk. And his wife comes over, and that's the woman I'm looking for. And I'm like, wow, Lord, only you. And it reminded me, and I shared this with the pastors, if you take care of God's business, he'll take care of yours. This is love. This is what we do. We are not thinking of ourselves. I'm not sitting here in this congregation waiting for someone to bless me. I've got my marching orders. I'm complete in Christ. I have everything I need. But there's other people around me that may need encouragement. And sometimes it's the simple little kindnesses that can change the course of a civilization, 
you know a simple kindness reached out to me, touched me, people were kind to me? That changed my life. That gave me a passion to want to be in ministry. And now I'm in ministry of a radio station and God's working. There's 150,000 people listening every day as we're reaching potentially 7 million in New York City. I'm like, who am I? But I'll tell you, in heaven, the person that risked not being liked, showing that kindness to me, that influenced me, a lot goes back to that. And listen, you have no idea the impact you can have on just loving the people sitting next to you in these seats. Showing some kindness. At the end, we used to have people come up for prayer, and we still do. But I also say, listen, if you met somebody new today, why don't you ask them their story and, and ask them if there's anything you can pray for them about. And so it cut three-quarters of the people that came up for prayer afterwards because now they're all praying for each other in little pockets after service. I love it. Because you have no idea who you are. And God uniquely made you. Stop listening to the lies that you're not significant. God has called you and you have no idea. Trust in the Lord what he has done. So simply this, the most important thing is you're born again. Are you born again? Have you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you believed on the name of Jesus? Then your name is written in the book of life. Now, Lord, here am I. Help me grow that I might help birth others in the faith. Influence them to take another look at Jesus and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ.